We are in a series right now, those of you who are, what are you guys doing down here? You don't belong down here, you belong up there. That's like, whoa, <laughs> you're like freaking me totally out. Um, it's not that we've assigned pews or anything, but the scrines belong up there. It's like, that's <laughs> just wrong. It's just, I'm not a traditionalist or nothing. Yeah, I guess it's the same kind. I'll just look down here normally and then that would, sorry. <clears throat> no one else would realize that but me, how weird that is. Um, I'm Steve. Uh, oh, we're in a series right now. <laughs> and we're, we're going through the Gospel of John chunk by chunk, and uh, if you're new with us, you've come at a good time. We've kind of started the uh, second real major portion of the Gospel of John. It'll take us from uh, uh, verse 19 of chapter 1 all the way through chapter 12. And uh, so if you've just joined us this morning, it's your first time here, and you're thinking of sticking around this place for a while, you're in, you're in good shape. You only have to read about 20-some-odd verses, and you're caught right back up. It took us 11 weeks to get this far, so you're in, you're in great shape. Last week, if, if you weren't here, I know many of you weren't here because you've been off traveling different places, and, and I know you're still kind of trickling in these next few weeks. But last week, we looked at verses um, 19 through 28, and in there we met John the Baptist up close and personal. And uh, I just wanted to read a couple of the uh, cross-references that we referred to last week, just so for those of you who maybe weren't here, you can you can kind of get a feel of who this John the Baptist guy was. And remember, I, I, I threw up what I considered to be a picture of John the Baptist, and it was, I, I drew it on Photoshop, and it looked an awful lot like Gimli. Uh, actually, it was Gimli, I'm just kidding. And, and that's kind of the picture you get of this John the Baptist guy that we're gonna, we met last week, and we're going to see again this week in our passage for this week. He's he just this kind of wild man, just hair everywhere and, and everything. So let me quote a couple passages that can maybe get you to know who this nut is out in the wilderness, because you should be asking that question, who is this nut out in the wilderness? And from uh, Matthew chapter 3, we learn a little bit about John. It says, John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. And so you get this kind of picture of John the Baptist with, again, I, I, uh, in my haste this week, and I didn't have a whole lot of time. I've been at an in, in-house retreat with the Book of Romans all week, so I didn't have time to look at this. But somehow, take my word on it, camel's hair and a leather belt inc- uh, implies wild man. Somebody want to do a study on that? That would be a great little study to do. But somehow, a camel hair jacket, now we, now we think of a guy who's got a camel hair jacket as, you know, got the penny loafers and everything. He didn't have penny loafers. John the Baptist, penny loafers, not equal. This was a wild man. He ate locusts. Mmm. They're not chocolate covered. We're talking just locusts. Maybe he dipped a little bit of the wild honey on them to make them go down. I don't know. But this guy was just, just rugged. All right? This is who he is. And this is what he, what he did. We found in Luke chapter 3. He refers to John the Baptist. And it says, He went into all the country and around the Jordan River preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough way is smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. John's job primarily was was to be this wild man who was out there in the middle of the wilderness causing a stir up, and basically what he's doing is chopping down the trees, creating a roadway, 
for people to see Christ. He's preparing the way. But, but it's an interesting character. God, of course, is, is, a, is a genius. Again, understatement of the day. But he's got a way of introducing how Christ will come on the scene that is, is incredible. And it says, uh, uh, John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. Who, I love that phrase, huh? I think you should, instead of saying, welcome to Whole Community Church, you, said, you, you should just say, you brood of vipers. That'd be a great, they'd all just leave then. But you, that's what he says. That's what John the Baptist says to his people when they, when they come out to see him. You brood of vipers. Who warned you about the coming wrath, to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not say to yourselves, don't even start with me about we have Abraham as our father. Don't, don't even give me that. You can just see him tapping his foot, you know, like a parent who, don't even give me this, the car broke down thing. It's 10 10 10 10 It's 10 after 10. <clears throat> Don't even start with this. That's what John's saying. Don't even start with this. For I tell you that out of the stones, out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Well, I hope you're having a nice day too, John. I mean, this is, John is a hardcore. And he, you know, how are you? Good, repent. That's what John is screaming at people. And you'd think, this guy's a nut. This guy will have very ineffective ministry. If this guy were in one of my seminary classes, we'd say, you need to dial it down a little bit there, brother. You know, you're, you're a little... There's flocks of people that go to this guy. There's flocks of people. You got to think about that for a second. There are flocks of people. And what are they doing? They're getting baptized. Now, that's very offensive for a Jewish person to go through baptized because that's what Jew, uh, dirty, non-Jewish people do. A Jewish person to, to submit to the idea of going through a baptism was admitting that they were unclean. And this is huge. John the Baptist's ministry is huge. I want you to think about that for a second. Think you're, let's just say you're walking down by the, by the Mississippi here over, say, the East River Banks uh, over there, and you're down, what do they call it, the River Flats area, and uh, you're just walking around, and, and all of a sudden you see this guy. He looks kind of like this guy. It's a little hard to see him there, but this is a famous painting uh, that would show John the Baptist, and he's over there uh, with the finger, you know, he's got the finger going even, huh? Huh? We don't use the finger around here. That sounds really bad. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, he, he's going after it. And you see this guy, you see him down by the river flats, and you see this guy, and he's, uh, he, he's, he's preaching up a storm. This guy's screaming. This guy's yelling. Now, instantly, instantly, there are going to be two kinds of people, right there and then. There's going to be the first group, which perhaps, uh, and, and perhaps rightly so, uh, may say, this guy's a nut. This guy's a nut, and you just keep walking, Okay. Let's just entertain it for the sake of the analogy uh, that, that there's another type of person. And that type of person says, no, this guy's authentic. He's got something to say I need to listen to. So just for the, I, I, just for the sake of the argument, just let's go that way. So let's follow that path for a second. That this guy's authentic and, and he's got something to say that's, that's realistic. And so put yourself in that category if you can. And you're down by the river flats and you hear this guy. And he starts to preach up a storm. And he starts to tell you basically three things. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. And guess what? You are a brood of vipers. You are a sinner. 
And guess what? You need to turn. You need to repent. Now at that point, there's a multitude of options you could have. The options you could have is, first off, yes, this guy's an authentic guy, but you know what? He just needs to dial it down. Okay? Lighten up. Take it easy. You know, we can only handle so much. You're taking it a bit far. Second option we could say is, okay, okay, all right, I admit it, I'm, I'm a sinner, but so is everybody else. I'm just like everybody else, and I'll just go to church more, I'll continue in my religious ways, and I'll, I'll kind of straighten things out. That'll solve the problem. Third option would be as you say, wow, this is heavy stuff. This is it. Judgment is coming, uh, 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 and, then I need, and then I'm a sinner, and then I need to repent. That's, that's heavy, heavy stuff. I'll really have to consider that. But you know what? Right now in my life, right now, I just got so much going on. I've got, I've got issues going on in my job. I've got trouble at home. Um, uh, perhaps my car just broke down. I, I got these things, and I will have to think about this at some point. And then there's a fourth type of person who, on hearing these words, on hearing these words, they're busted up inside. There's just something that happens where they're just busted up. It's not necessarily just an emotive thing. So if you're Scandinavian here, it's all good to be Scandinavian. But it, it just something deep within you just gets busted up. You start to be visibly shaken. The seriousness of the issue, the seriousness of sin, the seriousness of you looking at a holy God right in the face and spitting at him starts to hit you and you start to freak out. Oh my goodness, what has happened? I have sinned against a holy and righteous and all-powerful God. And if that's the category that you are in, you're part of the group that went to John the Baptist in the desert. All the other people didn't. The only ones that went were the ones who were totally freaked out. Now, what we're going to read today uh, will mean nothing unless you're willing to put yourself in that category. Uh, if, if, if you are here this morning and you just think that sin isn't a big deal or that um, fool around with it, whatever, this would be nothing. And I put myself in that category too. That in order to understand what's going to be said next in the book of John, it will make no sense. So I'd like to stop right here even and just pray. So would you just join me in prayer? Um, Lord, right now, I know it's the attitude of everyone in this room. God, they wouldn't be here unless they're seeking after you. And Lord, um, and yet we look at, sometimes we look at uh, the issue of John the Baptist and some of these issues that we see in the book of John, we think, isn't that interesting for them? And, And we don't realize it's talking about us. So Father, right now by your spirit, right in this room, right now I pray you'd give us a gift. That right now you'd give us the gift that you'd put us all in that category. That we'd realize that it's a huge deal. Just come and do your work, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. If you want to open up your Bibles, I'm sorry, I don't have an insert this week. It was a very, very... Busy, busy week, but if you want to open up a Bible, we're going to be in John chapter 1. We're also going to be looking at a few other things, but for the most part, we'll be in John chapter 1, verses 29 to 34, and we're going to continue on with John the Baptist and what he says. Um, 
If you remember from last week, John the Baptist uh, started to talk about, I'm here. He answered some people's questions. Who are you? Are you the Christ? He said, no. Are you Elijah or the prophet? He said, no. I'm just one. I'm a voice in the wilderness crying out, preparing the way. And he says, before you will be coming someone whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. In other words, uh, someone's coming who's much more worthy. And now, now the unveiling of who that is is going to happen. In verse 29, the next day, Jesus, or excuse me, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, if you're like me and you grew up in America or you grew up as a, as a, in a Christian context, that doesn't really ring a whole lot. It, 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 you know, Lamb of God, help me out here, toss me a bone. Why is that such a profound statement? I want you to, to, if you keep your finger in John 1 and flip back to where this idea comes from. And it comes from Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, a situation is going to happen where um, it will be clear of what the Lamb of God is about. It's, it's involving Abraham. And Abraham is set up with a situation where God, well, I'll explain it here, but he will um, be faced with a very, very, very difficult choice. Genesis chapter 22, we're going to start in the first verse and look at the first 14 verses here. It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac. Whom you love. Lots there to describe who this is. (laughs) Take your son, your only son, the one you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Whoa. What? I want you to sacrifice that son. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. Do you see that? Early next morning, he, he does it. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, which is going to be his son, he set out for the place God had told him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. So Abraham has faith that God's going to do something here. But we're going to come back. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he, he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham. Isaac said to his father Abraham. Excuse me. Said to his father Abraham. Father. <laughs> Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. I just stop right there. 
you got to think about what's going through Abraham's heart. Uh, it's a, admittedly, it's a little bit in the white spaces. This is a moment of complete freakout. This is my only son. God has promised him, if you're familiar at all with the Genesis story, that this is the son who is going to be the son of the promise. And I'm going to kill him. This is a moment of complete freakout. This is a moment of no hope. In a worldly sense, he's thinking, there's no hope. If I kill him, it's over. God must be going to do something, and I have no idea what it is. No idea what it is. It's a moment of complete freakout. What is going to happen? I have no hope here. Verse four, uh, excuse me, verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now, that I, now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son, who's a substitute. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. There was hope eventually. There was something that Abraham landed on that was a substitute for what, God, what he thought God was going to bring him through. This right here will mean nothing to you unless you understand how grave the situation is without it. When you understand that, you will cling to the ram that is found in the thicket. <gasps> yes, there's hope here. Otherwise, this is just a nice religious symbol. I wear it on my neck. It's a good deal. It's all good. But when you hear the words of John the Baptist, look, I've been telling you about your sin. You all are convicted of your sin. Look, the Lamb of God, and he's going to take away your sin. It's a substitution for you. You should be on that altar with Isaac. You should be the one that's going to go through it. But guess what? The Lamb, there, there's, there's something caught in the thicket, and his name is Jesus. The, the, the God is a genius. He set this up all the way from the beginning with Abraham to show that substitution right there. And if you don't have that sense in your heart this morning that you're one of that fourth group of people that as you hear John the Baptist in your own life, if you don't have that sense of freakout, the Lamb of God is, is directly proportional to how much you feel that sense of freakout. Isaiah 53, this, I, this imagery again comes up. Isaiah 53, 4 through 11 says, Surely he took up our infirmities, talking about the Messiah, and carried our sorrows, yet we consider him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Did you hear that? He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before shears is silent, he didn't open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death through... 
Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. The only way John 1, 29 rings in your heart, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, is if you feel like, oh my goodness, I need a Lamb of God. It's not something that, oh, it's kind of nice. It's huge. So when that statement is said in John 1, 29, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Your heart and my heart should just leap for joy, thinking, oh my goodness, I thought the knife was pointed at me. And now there's a ram over here that'll take it away. I hope you sense that this morning. I hope that's a gift you get. It's a gift I get. Hopefully, a little bit. Let's continue on in John chapter 1. John continues on, he says, this is, what I, this is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing was with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. The Gospel of John, uh, that's all we, all we see about the baptism of Jesus. The coronation of Christ. It's when Christ is coronated publicly, but in somewhat of a secretive way, only to those who would recognize it. We can pick it up in Matthew chapter 3 where John the Baptist is and Jesus are dealing with this issue. In John chapter 3, it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And John consented. And he baptizes his relative, Jesus. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened up, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I loved, and with him I am well pleased. That baptism guarantees of Jesus, guaranteed to John that his testimony, John the Baptist, that his statement was true that this guy really is the Lamb of God. You can bank secure that this guy really is the Lamb of God. Now let me ask you a question in closing. In your own heart, John the Baptist in the desert of your heart is calling. I, I don't, to me it's pretty irrelevant to me where you're at in your spiritual journey. You know, whether, whether this is uh, your first time ever set foot in a Christian church or you've been an ardent follower of Jesus Christ for 75 years. It's somewhat irrelevant. John the Baptist is in the desert of your heart and he's calling out. 
Are you going to just think he's a nut? Bypass him? Or are you going to say, you know, I just, there's just a lot, a lot going on. Uh, I got a lot going on in my life right now. And what, what these words are that I've heard from John chapter 1 this morning, that's, those are true words, but, you know, I just, I got a lot, I got a roast in the oven right now and whatever. Are you willing to right now and right here, even as we sing these last couple songs, take this as a time to, to open up your heart and life to a whole new possibility of clinging to the Lamb of God? That's a gift. It's a gift. Let's pray together. Lord, I just confess that this is a heavy message. Uh, and it has to be. Otherwise, we will not see how beautiful the Lamb of God is. That we need to cling on to it. God, in my own heart, I just uh, confess that there are times when uh, it feels like I'm going through the motions or I just, I know about you theologically. Lord God, I want to feel, as others in this room too, I want to feel the tip of the blade of the knife as it's pushing against my flesh. I want that as a gift, not as a punishment. I want that as a gift so that I will appreciate the Lamb of God. And so, Jesus, we place you at the center of our lives. We place you in a place where only you belong. In our entire lifetimes, we're never going to get this completely straight. But as much as we're able to, would you this morning grant us a gift? Would you allow us to stop fooling around with this sin thing? Would you allow us to realize it's serious? Would you allow us a gift this morning if our hearts are starting to get hard? To say, oh my goodness, my heart is starting to get hard. Would you freak us out with it, God? Would you grant us a gift so that we can look at the Lamb of God, we can look at the cross and realize that Jesus Christ paid my penalty. That is not some theological treatise that is a rescuing me from the knife. I pray for that as a gift for us, God, in this room. I pray for people, maybe some, maybe this is the first time in their entire life they've understood that Jesus Christ can be their sin substitute. I pray for them in this room that you give them the courage right now, right now to say, I will allow you, Jesus, to be my Savior. I need a Savior. Right now, I will allow you to be my Savior. Right now, I'll let you be my Lord. Right now, will you come into my life and change me? You could do that right now. But Lord, many of us in this room have come to a point in our lives like that, and then we just walk through life, and it becomes mundane. And we read a passage like John 1.29, where it says, look, the Lamb of God, and we, we, it's the same as cold mashed potatoes to us. God, I pray it'd shake us up, so that when we hear a phrase like, look, the Lamb of God, we just are overjoyed. I pray for that, God. Whatever that takes, God, would you do that? We want to worship you in the right way. Just come, Holy Spirit, and do your work, we pray in Jesus' name.